Have you ever wanted to be the first to know if aliens really exist? Well, with Nebula, you can be! Nebula is the streaming service that's home to its Probably Not Aliens, as well as our YouTube channels. And the best part? All of our content goes up early on Nebula. So when we break first contact with E.T., you'll be the first to find out. That's right, you'll be able to listen to the next episode of this show before anyone else. Plus, we post bonus content that you won't find any other place. And the best part? By signing up for Nebula at nebula.tv slash probablynotaliens, you're directly supporting the show and both of us. So don't wait any longer. Join Nebula today and be the first to know if this time it really is aliens. Tristan, how are we starting episode 50? Hit me with it. Well, I looked up. The only thing I could think of, I was trying to think of the number 50. So sure. we, we blew 51 with Area 51 episode. Yeah, we did uh, that. For like episode 45 because I'm an idiot. <laughs> but, nope. um, it's perfect. But uh, um, I did think, hey, isn't there that thing where like they tell you what you should give for a gift for every anniversary? That's that's oh. a thing. That's a thing that people do, right? Okay, yeah. What's 50? It's gold. Gold. Well, that sounds boring. I, some of them are like more interesting. 50 gold. That's so that's so cliche. A hundred should be antimatter. I don't oh, think anyone's good. ever had their hundredth wedding anniversary yet. No but. one's made it there. But if we do, hey, science is getting better every day. Maybe, maybe we're the ones. Not that we're in a relationship. Maybe wait, episode hundred? Yeah, that's like next year, theoretically. That's true. So what'd you get me? Gold wise. I got you a uh, water rock. Water rock. And yep. that's and it's made of gold. Uh, the time that we spend together is oh, golden. OK, that's well. So but so I got you the entire lost city of El Dorado. Oh, dang. Um, and you find it, that it I just is it in the back. But I just I know you like eBay, so yeah, it was on eBay. It was a pretty fair price. I had to negotiate a little bit. Just that lost city category on it was, eBay. Can I tell you? It was it was just it was the shipping that was the biggest thing. It was the shipping. True. That's where they get you. How you know much a lost city weighs, especially gold ones. <laughs> but I just. So I guess I'm just thinking that like maybe there's like a disparity between the gift that you got me and the gift that I did. I go overboard. I'm yeah, not saying you like needed a... to go. I'm not saying you need to give me more. That's selfish. I'm saying, did I go overboard with your. Yeah, I think gift? we decided that we were going to stick to a um, like small village budget. Oh, nothing okay. bigger than a small village. Nothing bigger than a small village. And I did a city, a golden city nonetheless. Of, of gold covered in gold covered in gold made of gold if it's made of gold it's covered in gold yeah i don't know i'm this one's on me this one's my bad um well if anyone wants to buy i'll throw it up on ebay again i guess yeah, does anyone want a, go a golden city imagine that there are probably some people who could use that yeah a lot a of nice... people who lost their money buying internet apes i'm sure that they would want some gold <laughs> yeah did you know that the the second... Have you seen any of the um, National Treasure movies? Have we discovered this? Have I we have about not this? seen any of them, no. Okay. Spoilers. I, there's, if memory there's serves... A, there's a board ape in there? No. <laughs> that would be very good, though. It's like it's a USB key full of cryptocurrency. <laughs> I don't even know what that is yet. <laughs> 
Um, the second movie, I believe, if memory serves, is about El Dorado in oh. America. And John Wilkes Booth found it or something like that. I can't remember. John Wilkes Booth, the person who assassinated Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, they're like, it's all, it's like a big conspiracy. Like Abraham Lincoln knew where it was and then knew where the El Dorado was. And then John Wilkes Booth killed Abraham Lincoln for, I don't remember if they like retcon history and made it so he was trying to like f- find the gold city or cover it up. I don't, or if it was just unrelated to, it, there was a whole Abraham Lincoln plot point with John Wilkes Booth. It was a whole thing. And we'll, if we ever cover El Dorado on this podcast, we'll have to, I'll, we'll definitely have to watch that movie. We'll have to throw like it on the pile of, um, what's it called? Movie watch through podcast that I guess yeah. we're throwing up on Nebula or something. Yeah. Why not? Oh, Hey, is that an announcement we can make right now? I mean, we've been on or, Nebula for like that's oh, true. a couple months now. We've been on Nebula. Yes. By the time this comes out, I can say that I've been, I'm on Nebula too, but, um, because it's August 30th are. now. So, um, cause we're recording from the past. Wait, hold on. This is the thing. So we are recording this episode on August 18th. My birthday is on August 25th, <gasps> which so means next next Thursday, I'm going to have to bring a little cake. I can know as of I have seven days left, less than I've got like six days left of on, this is the only the last time I can say I'm almost 30. These are the last days. That is true. And you have been bringing it up several times throughout the history of this podcast. What's the th- what's the 30 gift? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, 30th anniversary gift. Uh, pearls. Pearls. You a fan of pearls? I'm, you know, I'm, I could rock some pearls. I could rock a, like a pearl necklace to, uh, you know, down a dark alleyway. <laughs> you know, I could, I think pearls look really good against the cold, wet ground of Gotham City is what I'm saying. Maybe after seeing, uh, the Legend of Zorro in movies. One of the, yeah, I think that's, that's probably what I'll do for my birthday then. Go see the Legend so, of Zorro. Best wish, everyone wish me good. Good luck as I as I have my as I celebrate my pearl anniversary of my life and I head to this this big beautiful city of Gotham just to watch a cool little Zorro show cool. and nothing will go wrong. Question about that actually because um, I don't have I'm lacking a Batman fact here but okay does he ever find out who did it who killed his parents yeah does he ever like is is it like is it something like yeah. it's the Riddler or something like that no so it's like just some guy like not some um, like over the top yeah the guy who killed batman's uh parents is just a guy named joe chill just like a criminal i guess like the i guess like in the story of batman it's like batman comes on the scene wipes out all of the organized crime and that's when yeah. they're like oh and everyone's like, if we're gonna do crime we have to do mm-hmm. it like batman and that's why uh now i am going to become the yes. joker i will become the joker i will become the riddler I will become the Mr. Freeze. Everyone's got to, you got to fight, you got to, you got to match Batman. Now, um, another thing that I probably should tell you about um, your upcoming birthday, but also about um, right now, this current situation, because I know you think we're just hanging out, but um, I realized that we're actually recording a podcast. Oh my God. We've been talking for so long. Yes. And and this is a, this is a podcast now. I'm going to edit a lot of stuff out to make this (laughs) because we have been talking for a while. Yes. So this is a podcast uh, called hey, everyone. It's Probably Not Aliens. Hey, friends, sit How's down and have a nice cup of cocoa. Um, mm-hmm. Enjoy the golden anniversary episode of It's Probably Not Aliens podcast about UFOs and pseudo archaeology. Yeah. 
how do we do? Was this, I mean, should, I think for, here's what we're going to do, Tristan. Episode 100 of this podcast, our mission is to make the tightest, cleanest, snappiest intro we've ever made, right? It's going to get right into the, to the juicy bits Mm -hmm. immediately. Uh, But we've got like 40, we got this episode and then like 49 more to go until then. So, although I will say we're sort of like, um, we're getting worse as time goes on. If anything, the hundredth episode is going to be all preamble intro. And then I'll <laughs> in the last like five seconds I'll be like oh by the way um this thing's not aliens <laughs> bye what? episode 100 is oops all intro <laughs> that would be really funny uh hi everyone I'm Scott Nicewonder currently 29 years old mm. uh and I know nothing I'm the person on this podcast who uh, shows up to learn about the really cool and interesting things that you also get to learn about, uh, about ancient uh, history, history, ancient history and people and places and things like that. Ancient and history and ancient history. Uh, My name is Tristan Johnson, uh, 33 years old, and I find out the things to make this podcast into true educational content, except for the multitudes of times that Twitter tells me I'm wrong. Um, but <laughs> aside from all the times that Twitter tells me I'm wrong, most of the time I'm right. If anything, for the internet's, um, like for the internet's batting average, I'm doing decent. Yeah. So, um, honestly, I think so. Someone did suggest recently that we should do just a corrections episode. Yeah. I think that could be fun, especially because we don't have to last do, episode. Oh yeah. Well, someone tweeted about it okay. as well. And I, I don't, I think that would be fun because we don't have to do any research really because, um, people always just scream at us the corrections. Yeah. So, and just, then if uh, they're wrong, we don't have to check them. We'll just save it up for another corrections episode. I'll just uh, make a little uh, Python script that just scrapes um, the search for at probs, not aliens on Twitter. And then we'll just read through it. Yeah. <laughs> So, so this is a podcast called Probably Not Aliens. Talk about UFOs, ancient astronaut theories, all that kind of stuff. And today uh, we have, uh, I think it's like a real classic story today. It's about, it's a thing that looks like a thing that classic. looks like it's, uh, that looks like it might be an underwater city. It's 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 everything that you could possibly want in a, a, a two and a half second clip of ancient aliens turned into a 60 minute episode of a podcast you could never want. Excellent. So what is this what are we talking about all right well first also first for the channel first for the show is we are going to japan uh (gasps) for today uh we are going to be talking about something that goes by the moniker of the uh yonaguni monument um which people have seemed to think was the ruins of an advanced civilization that fell beneath the waves ten thousand years ago i.e during the pleistocene you know the stone age um Oh, okay. I was going to... I didn't want to ask because I didn't want to be embarrassed. But so thank you for telling me. Yeah. And some people think that it's actually the remnants of Mu, which is sort of like a Pacific uh, version of Atlantis <gasps> that was rumored to have vanished beneath the waves. So many lost cities. Yeah, it's true. Especially because like, oh, what's a climate change? We're going to end up with like a whole lot of new lost cities in the near future. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm reading a book right now that's about um, climate change hitting New York and about in like the 22nd century, it's like a Venice because mm. like all the streets are just flooded. And so they just like drive around in boats oh. and stuff. Uh, it's really fun. Mm. So today we're going to talk about Yonaguni and the Yonaguni monument and whether or not this is the remnants of an ancient hyper civilization or maybe 
we have alternative explanations. You'll just have to keep listening to find out. <gasps> Got to get that retention up. Yeah. Just like YouTube. They, see, you'd think that right now we'd put like a stinger here, but that will that will come later, I think. Yes. <laughs> like a bee. The stinger comes when you least expect it. No, I'm interested. Tristan, I can't wait anymore. I can't wait. I'm listening now. I'm continuing to listen and I want to hear what you have to say. All right. Well, let's talk about Yonaguni. Let's talk about all this fun stuff. So the thing that you put, like put, if you can imagine your head, like a map of Japan, you actually probably are imagining uh, the main Japanese islands, but actually it's a lot bigger than you think it is because hmm. um, Japan is essentially a 4,000 kilometer long archipelago that goes all the way from the Kamchatka Peninsula, which is sort mm-hmm. of uh, in Siberia, all the way down to uh, basically the island of Taiwan, which is like off the coast of China. Wow. So yeah. you can imagine like it's huge. It's a big like uh, string of islands. Now, Obviously, the ones in Japan are the biggest and main ones, but there's a bunch of small ones. Uh, but one of them, the most, the most southern, most southwest one, uh, is called Yonaguni, and it belongs to a arc of of archipelago islands, which are called the Ryukyu Islands. Huh. Um, it's an island that belongs to Japan, but at one time it was the brief center of a globe-spanning empire that was led by a Scottish man named DDR Jake in the 15th century. Um, uh-huh. This is a extremely specific reference to a very small fandom so for the two people who got that joke congratulations you are as sad as i am <laughs> i do not get the reference and if you are ddr jake a little bit uh keep playing video games good okay keep dancing i guess if you want the explanation because explaining jokes is great uh there is a video game for turbo nerds called europa universalis 4 which is essentially okay. a big simulation of the 15th through 19th centuries uh through history where you can play as countries and there's like the hardest achievement in the game is to conquer the entire world playing as the Ryukyu Islands, which is extremely hard to do to the point where uh, only I think like maybe one or two people have done it. And the first person to have ever done it was a guy by a Twitch streamer by the name of DDR Jake. OK, wow. Good on you, Jake. That's that's my connection to the Ryukyu Islands. <laughs> But yeah, it's also the most Western point in Japan. Again, this, um, so Yonaguni is only about a hundred kilometers from Taiwan, which mm-hmm. I think is about 60 miles. Okay. About, I think a hundred kilometers an hour is about 60 miles an hour. So I think that that tracks, um, it's also really small. It only has about 1700 people living on the Island and the whole thing is less than 30 square kilometers, but it is a big tourist destination for one very specific thing. All right. Sharks. Shark hammerhead shark specifically. Oh, all right. It turns out that the waters around Yonaguni are um, just filled with hammerheads, riddled with them. And because of that, divers come and visit Yonaguni all the time. Yeah. So that's I think that's pretty that's pretty cool. Just like for fun. Yeah. Just like for funsies. Well, they go to go diving with the with the sharks. Well, good. I'm glad. I just want to make sure because I don't want there to be like I don't want you to pull the rug out from under me and be like, you know, and then they were killing the sharks or something. No, like no, that. no. They just go because the, this is a good. This is a happy. Yeah, thing. it's just a People little like place sharks. where you can dive, and you are likely to see some really cool looking fish. Okay, cool. I like sharks. I'm glad people are just swimming with them. They seem lonely. Mm-hmm. Sharks do. So I'm glad they got swimming buddies. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing too that's important to know about Japan in general, but the Ryukyu Islands and Yonaguni is that uh, it's important for understanding this whole thing. So this is sort of a thing to just kind of put a little pin in your head, uh, and we'll bring okay. it back later which is that um, Japan is known for being a site of extremely 
hard tectonic activity. Like the reason why there's an archipelago that goes all the way from Russia to uh, Taiwan is because mm-hmm. uh, it's part of something called the Pacific Ring of Fire. Oh, I've heard of this. This is like it's is, is there like lots of volcanoes or something? Yes, a lot of yeah, volcanoes. Cool. Actually, I think Japan has something to the tune of 10 percent of the world's active volcanoes. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Just save some for the rest of us, Japan. For real. And so the Pacific Ring of Fire, it's obviously a sign where the, a plate part where two uh, tectonic plates sort of meet each other and grind uncomfortably, which also means that mm-hmm. um, it's very tectonically active, which means that Japan gets hit with a lot of earthquakes or yes. a lot of earthquakes happen in the ocean, which cause tsunamis. So, OK, this is uh, this is a part of the geological area of this place, um, which also means that the the bedrock around uh, Yonaguni is very fractured. It's a lot of broken Mm -hmm. rock and stuff like that. And you can see it in the fact that there's like layers of sandstone and shale and limestone that um, that are all over the place. You can see like big like cracks in them. Specifically during the Miocene, hundreds of meters of sandstone were deposited in the region of the island. uh, And there's some local and regional uplifts creating a land connection with Taiwan, Asia and the Ryukyu Islands. So there was a time where there was some connections going on. Was it in just like then just like water or something? Yeah, well, then during the Pleistocene, there was a whole lot of earthquakes that caused uh, a lot of the land connections to break and for a lot of things to sink into the water. So this is important to know as backdrop because according to... Uh, the believers in uh, Yonaguni being a uh, ancient civilization that mm-hmm. anything that is underwater, like say the things in this um, this episode, this is when they would have gone underwater during the Pleistocene, which um, to be to let you know, ten thousand years ago was a time where things like um, saber tooth cats and mammoths were still oh. like a thing. <laughs> so uh, very long time old. ago, yeah, yeah, okay. So just kind of keep that those geological logical facts about um, the area in your head. I'm marinating in it. Okay. Yeah. So what this thing is, is uh, about, there's actually like, um, a formation of rock that begins just a little bit above the surface of the water that uh, divers have been fascinated with since the 80s. It looks like it's got big blocky fractures that have angles that appear really like sharp, like rectangular, almost like steps. Um, it's about 25 meters tall from the seafloor to the highest point. The central formation, which is like a sort of a pyramid as, as uh, ancient aliens called it, is about 120 meters wide and over twice that in length. And about and it's only about 100 meters offshore. So mm-hmm. There was a time in the not too distant past, geologically speaking, where this was definitely above water. Okay. Um, where earthquake right. definitely took it in because you can see like all the fracturing and stuff like that. Okay. And because of all of the sharks, there's a lot of divers. And when you have a lot of divers, you're going to find a lot of cool stuff. And sure. so in 1986, a Yonaguni tourism board representative was out looking through the southernmost tip of the island, looking for a new place to promote for hammerhead diving and came across this site, this cracked pile thing of stone uh and he named the area iseki point or ruins point i.e referencing that it looked like ruins Mm -hmm. and went back to uh yonaguni saying he had found this he had found what looked like a man-made castle underwater okay now i don't i know we're all thinking it 
was it possible it was built by the sharks? They do have hammers for heads. That is true. Uh, the, that, that, that I was not considered, no. We have to consult with Arthur, the coolest of the Justice League, uh, who can talk to the sharks. Yeah. Well, this is this is, this is is rival Atlantis, right? Yeah. Theoretically. So not on great terms with old Arthur Curry over here. Have they ever done where like, they, they should do that, where like uh, Atlantis has to deal with Moo in the Pacific. Yeah. And, like, the Atlantic and oh. the Pacific go to war with each other. There that you go. Be cool. I wonder if they have done that. If not, hey, free idea. Yeah, DC. DC, Detective Comics, comics. Yeah, take it. Take our ideas. Trust me. <laughs> What's it called? Aquaman needs, he needs the content. <laughs> <laughs> I want more. I love Aquaman. I love a big wet hero, Tristan. Big I love a big wet hero. So knowledge of this uh, ruin got onto the desk of a professor by the name of Masaki Kimura, who is a professor of marine geology at the University of the Ryukyus in Japan. Mm -hmm. And he went over to look for himself. And essentially what he saw has, from what I can tell, dominated his entire professional life. Okay. Uh, after seeing what he was guaranteed, what he unmistakably thinks is a uh, ancient ruin. He founded a group called the Marine Science and Cultural Heritage Research Association that is devoted to proving that Yonaguni is not a natural formation as it would appear to be, but it's rather a man-made structure and has, uh, and since he then through subsequent dives, they have found castles, buildings, monuments, a stadium, uh, some statues of people and uh, a connection of a bunch of roads and waterways connecting them all. He found like a whole little city down there. Oh, wow. So Dr. Kimura came to the hypothesis that um, this was all on dry land about eight to 10,000 years ago during the last ice age. And okay. uh, that's when it was built by the ancient people who lived there. But then uh, tectonic activity, i.e. like some earthquake, knocked the entire civilization and all the evidence that they existed into the water. And that the last remaining versions of it are these ruins at Yonaguni and that... Um, Sometimes they also say that it's it's Mu or, you know, Japanese Atlantis. Um, and so, like, where are we talking? This is still like this would propose that this this civilization would be like super duper ancient, right? Or, yes. Uh, yeah. Basically a time that uh, we are like just figuring out like basically I think like the Neolithic times, I believe that's what mm -hmm. it's called when we are sort of we are still in the Stone Age. We are still pre-metal at that point. Gotcha. So very long time ago. We are we are still cavemen essentially at that point. Like if you ever seen Flintstones basically living in the Flintstones using, uh, you know, long neck dinosaurs as cranes, of course. uh, using the mammoth yeah. to wash your dishes. Yeah. You slide down a nose. Using a pelican or... as a toilet. Yeah. <laughs> it's all, I mean, we're getting back to sort of what I was saying. We're like, are we sure it wasn't the sharks that built this structure, the city? You know yeah. what I mean? Like if animals are, if Fred Flintstone's using the dinosaurs in his quarry, well, not his quarry, Mr. Slate's quarry, obviously. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Like, what are sharks? if not wet dinosaurs. Is that accurate? Sharks are, no, sharks are way what, older than dinosaurs. Well, yeah. I mean, dinosaurs never had the ability, never had the time to develop tools the way that sharks did on their heads. And now they're too busy being chicken nuggets for us to uh, to do anything new. Yum, yum. Uh, and while we're on this thing, tangent thing, I need to find an explanation for this, but um, I have seen clips or pictures from what I can only call grimdark Flintstones. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I got to know anything that you know about how that came into being. <laughs> Um, so around the new 52 era, I believe 
maybe a little after there they did a whole Hanna Barbera reboot as well that included like Grimdark Scooby Doo Scooby Apocalypse. Oh, how's that? Yeah, can I confession time? It's like one of the only Scooby pieces of media that I haven't oh. engaged in, so I don't know how it is. Some people say they like it, so that's good. Um, but no, and then uh, they, I believe they did Jetsons as well, which is like I had a lot to say about like climate change and stuff. I don't know. They made it. They made everything say nice political issues. I think Flintstones had some like interesting political issues, uh, topics that they tackled as well. So because like that, that's like on the wave of like all the weird, fascinating, um, grim dark. Yeah. Like the fact that like one of the biggest TV shows on the CW is grim dark Archie. Yeah. And I don't understand it, but people love it. Yeah. And people I don't really love it. So people really love it. And I'm not going to hate on them. It, it sounds like a blast. I only watched the first season and people keep telling me about all the stuff that's happening. Like there's like multiple dimensions and time travel and like, uh, powers that like which powers that happen because one of the characters is gay or something like I'm like that sounds awesome I just can't get into it right now you know what you, you know what the, you know what the best twist for Grim Dark Archie uh, mm. you know who I haven't seen might might be needing some work right now uh, oh, yeah? John Bernthal John Bernthal most famous Punisher. for on Netflix playing yes. the Punisher <laughs> Archer, Archie Punisher recreate the comic crossover in real life it, play play nice together, Disney and Warner Brothers. <laughs> Never mind. The two companies that run all media now. Yeah. The literal Marvel and DC of movies. <laughs> I started saying it and I was like, never mind. I forgot who did which one. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, anyway, <laughs> um, back to Masaki Kimura. Um, yes. So he's been basically for the last 20, 30 years, been uh, been working on this site. Um, last I checked in with him, it was like the early 2000s. I have no idea what kind of status he's in right now. Maybe I should check it on him because it could be like, oh, he's oh. dead. Oh, never mind. Oh, never mind. Oh, Whoops. no, he's still alive. He's still oh, doing, he's still on it. OK, well, that makes me feel better. Yeah. OK, um, so he's convinced that it is. I think he's revised that now it's a 5000 year old city. Um, but okay. according to him, that the largest structure looks like a complicated monolithic stacked pyramid that rises from a depth of 25 meters or 82 feet for you. Thank you. Some quotes from him are, I think it's very difficult to explain away their origin as being purely natural because the vast amount of evidence of man's influence on the structure. He says he's identified quarry marks. Uh, rudimentary characters etched into carved faces and rocks that are sculpted in the likeness of animals. Uh, according to him, quote, the characters and animal monuments in the water, which I have been able to partially recover in my laboratory, suggest the culture comes from the Asian continent. And I actually read his paper on all of this. It's pretty wild. And then also he said that he thinks that he's found an underwater sphinx that resembles a Chinese or ancient Okinawan king. Huh. Okay. But that most of the civilizations sank into the water during an earthquake, essentially. Uh, so since he's been doing this, he's identified 10 different structures off of Yonaguni and uh, five off of the mainland of Okinawa, which is like the, sort of the biggest island that um, Yonaguni is close to, covering about a period of or an area of about 300 meters by 150 meters or for the Murricans, uh 984 feet by 492 feet. And so, yeah, according to him, he's found a castle, an arch, uh, temples, a stadium connected by roads and water channels and partially shielded from what would be looked like large retaining walls. 
Um, he believes that the ruins are at least 5,000 years old, although his first estimate was 10,000 years old. Mm. But based on these stalactites that have been found around uh, some caves that sank with the city. And uh, he also believes that uh, that it's similar to ruins sitting on a nearby coast that have yielded charcoal that's about 1,600 years old. So it's an indication that mm. ancient human did live on the island. So... Did a ancient civilization long, long ago exist on this little island, the Pacific Ocean? I, I mean, it sounds like it, right? Well, I've not heard anything so far that tells me otherwise. Well, we're going to have to find out after this. Oh. Hey, Tristan, can I, I'm going to ask you a question as we come back from the break. Yeah. If you could invent a new type of shark that had a different tool for its head, what would you want to, it to be? I mean, the obvious meme answer is laser beams. Okay. Yes. But those are laser beams on their heads. Okay. Right? Mm -hmm. I want their heads. A hammerhead shark doesn't have hammer on its head. Its head is hammer. Okay. And like we could design them to be like deadly, like the laser beams, or we could design them to be cool. You know what? All right. I'm going to go with um, uh, sharks that have a large hadron collider for a head. Okay. (laughs) Now that's interesting. That feels like they could help serve a purpose, a scientific purpose. Hey, we'd probably get a lot more antimatter that way. We would. And we wouldn't even have to wait until our 100th anniversary. Yeah. Could get cheap enough. It could be your 50th anniversary gift. They give you the gift of unlimited energy. I, I was thinking if there was a shark with like uh like a Nintendo Switch, that could be fun for me, I think. Play a video game on a, <laughs> on a shark. shark. Thing is that it has to keep moving. Well, the Switch is mobile though. Switch is mobile. Yeah. That's the, it's the perfect system. Yeah, you it would if it was like a PlayStation or something, it would kill the shark because you would just have to swim in circle around the it, outlet. Right, exactly. Nintendo created this Nintendo Switch so that sharks could play video games without having to stop. Yeah, shark do it, Nintendo don't. <laughs> Okay, right, let's get back to the um, episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, I, I'm going to go through all of the major claims that this is uh, uh, artificial structure, and I've got some pictures for you to enjoy. Um, so okay, the big question is, are we what we're looking at? Is it really a pyramid? Um, because it's been described as a monumental structure with a square or triangular base with sloping sides that meet at a point at the top, especially uh, one built of stone huh. as a royal tomb in ancient Egypt. That does... Yeah. So it does sound like a pyramid. It does sound like a pyramid. It also does roughly, and I'm don't, I want to give them credit, but it does also roughly sound like a mountain or just a pile of things or like a pile of things. Yeah, um basically looking at it, it looks more like um like a heap in the shape of a pyramid, which does happen. There are natural pyramid structures that um because of like, you know, different types of materials meeting each other and because of like, you sure. know, gravity and stuff you can have things that uh natural formations that do look like pyramids um there's uh Mm -hmm. there are things called flat iron mountains or or ridges that definitely um with different like things like for like uh faults and glaciers can look like pyramids um i just googled natural pyramids and i found this one (laughs) yeah this one does and i'll right click save as for the twitter right click save as t-shirt and this had the pictures that we downloaded uh probs and aliens on twitter if you want to see me tweet these out yeah i mean i've seen these on like the side of a 
road or something. Mm-hmm. Um, like I've seen this sort of stuff. The problem is that none of these pyramids look anything like the Yonaguni formation because it looks more like a cake. Um, just just scroll down and oh. take a look. Just bask in the glory of this very man-made pyramid. Oh. <laughs> Okay. And this is the whole thing? That's the pyramid, yeah. That, so that's... what. This is a silly question. What part of it is a pyramid? Good, good, good question. Because it does not look like a pyramid. To me, it looks... It looks like a rock, a big rock that has lots of different layers, but it doesn't, it doesn't look like a pyramid to me. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't jump out. Pyramid isn't the first thing that jumps out to me now. No, no. Okay. So it's not just me. It looks like a big surfboard that you put Legos on. That works. Um, the other, but the thing though, is if you do look at it, there is like, you know, the claim that it could be, uh, still artificial in construction is that it looks like it has steps. It does. So there's a lot of discussion yes. that it does have, and it does have step-like features, but that's more like of a metaphor than like a fact because uh-huh. um, it's for like saying like um, like Monument Valley is stepped. Um, sure. But you wouldn't call them literal steps. Um, and there are also rocks just above the shoreline in Yonaguni that have similar sort of, uh, breaking on them. Plus the, plus also, um, they don't, you can't walk on them. Like steps made by people would notably be used for walking on. And these steps are sometimes like several feet hot tall. Yeah. They don't look very uniform between it. It looks like it's very irregular, very uneven. It looks very, um, yeah, there's no real rhyme or reason for why these indentation these as you called them step like features mm-hmm. maybe where they are yeah um then there's the other claim that um that kimura made that there's evidence of tool marks um but the evidence that he shows for this is lacking because um he doesn't show any pictures of these tool marks his paper mm. just has uh just says that he saw scars from tools driven in as a wedge that have been found among other markings in the structure okay he does uh say that it was done by a wedge-shaped cutting tool which is is called a kusabi but mm-hmm. and that there are also funnel shaped depressions evenly spaced 20 to 30 centimeters apart but um but the thing is okay so a couple things one um yeah. photos please for the tool marks also can something be evenly spaced yeah. and be 20 to 30 centimeters apart because you shouldn't give a if it's evenly spaced you're not going to give it a range um, apparently the only tool marks that he was able to show were some plaster casts that he didn't include. He just showed to some marine biologists so that they could rule out that it was sea urchins. Huh. Okay. Um, so yeah. Um, and also it does seem that the precise spacing of those holes or even the location of all of these things are not published anywhere by, uh, Kimura. Um, suspicious. Yeah. And also how many were observed or any of that stuff is not. And there's also the big question about how you make a plaster mold of something underwater. <laughs> okay. So I was going to ask about that, but I didn't want to feel because if I mean, like I, cause I know they can do all sorts of stuff. They can like weld underwater. They can basket weave underwater, but I have, I was like, how do they do? How do you dry out plaster mold? underwater? Yeah. How do you do that? But I was like, surely science has a way, but you're telling me also questionable. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. Cause um, as I mentioned, Kimura is a geologist, not an archaeologist. So he's um, right. his ability to uh, discern what is artificial from natural seems uh, not the strongest. Uh, and then, yeah, sure. when it comes to like doing plastered, like I, I am at, there is aquatic archaeology and I'm sure there is some way to get impressions of things. Um, There's gotta be. But I, uh, but uh, plaster might not be the one to do that. 
Um, mm. Plus, there's also just the claim that there's canals and walls and pools and a gate and a road. But um, in many yeah. ways, um, the thing is that uh, we're able to uh, we, we, we when we try to describe things, we tend to use a lot of analogies and metaphors, especially when. Uh, we don't have photographs or detailed illustrations of such a thing. Like, for example, um, if you were to go to uh, if you were to go to the Grand Canyon, I don't know if you've ever been. Mm-hmm. I've not. Are you going to tell me that you've been when I was 14? Oh, my God. <laughs> but when you go to the Grand Canyon, you'll see things like the Arrowhead Terrace, the Bridge of Size, the Castle Butt uh-huh. and Excalibur Tower. Huh. Um, okay. But these are not arrowheads, bridges, castles, or sword hilts. They just look like yeah. these things. Um, you did live in Texas for a while. I did. And there in Rockwall, there's a place, uh, a limestone outcropping that does show itself periodically as you showed across the lines, uh, the, the landscape that resembles a rock wall. But it's ah. it's not it's not a wall. It's just that's a word we use. Yeah. You know what else Texas has is a it's it's got a panhandle, uh, but it's not a literal panhandle. It's just it's the shape of one. Exactly. So when you're describing a site and you say that it has the appearance of steps or the appearance of a street or a road or a gate, they're uh-huh. not really useful. Um, you can't you can't like you need to have physical evidence that ties things to it. You can't just say this looks like a thing. Therefore, it is that thing. Right. And there's no evidence that exists of there's no there's no evidence that exists that we have any like actual stuff brought back from about any of this being actual things, except for, quote, the step like features on the side of the pyramid. Yeah, the very irregular, almost Asherian sort of nonsensical step-like features. Yeah. One would say. Exactly. Um, and as far as like the art and the tool marks, there's actually a couple of photographs of things that might be stone tools. Um, although okay. they're, um, they're uh, one of them, uh, according to one source I found, said it doesn't really look like it's obvious uh, manufacturing. Or it could be the fact that it was just a low-resolution photo Photograph, uh, which is another big problem. Uh, uh, yeah. And there's also like, you know, there's the tool that does look like an axe head could also be the result of a, you know, low resolution photograph. And that's true. It could be that these things, if it is of artificial make, it could be because there were people who made like adzes and axes in Taiwan um, uh-huh. that were used as like kind of like farming implements that could have gotten drifted over there or could have, um, you know, been dropped by like a uh, by like you know, people on yeah. ships or boats and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, things drift all over. We've talked before about, what was it? Oak Island yeah. that has coconuts, coconut fibers. Yeah. There's another story too, that there was a lot of people who believed for a long time that the Romans had gone to Brazil because a Roman trireme basically had drifted across the Atlantic Ocean and somehow wound up in the Amazon, which is a really cool coincidence, but um, not necessarily one that- Just a coincidence. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that, that that's some cool stuff. But um, the thing is that uh, when we're talking about like the really, really old civilization. Um, The oldest stone tools in Taiwan are chipped pebbles from a a culture called the the Chongbin. And uh, that is from the Neolithic area, but from about four and 3000 BCE, which is only Uh about five or 6,000 years ago. Goodness. Uh, which is a far cry from the ten to 12,000 years ago. That was the original estimate. Yeah, not as similar. Uh, and also there's some claim that there is rock art. 
uh, said that there's like, you know, zeomorphic or like, you know, animal carvings that Kimura describes, but um, more likely one of any possessions lost from any of the people who were on the ocean on tiny vessels could have uh, could have traveled or fished in the Neolithic times could have left it. But here, look at look at. Uh, so like, here's another example of like kind of what what kind of standard we're going for. So next I'm looking at this. Yeah. Uh, the next part we're going to look at is a statue. And I've got two yes. pictures. One is sort of the low resolution photograph that was uh, Kimura's original submission. Uh, and then okay. the second is a more high definition photo of the exact same statue uh, in 1999. Uh Now, they say that this is a a carving of a face. I mean, I see it. I definitely see a head. How about, what what was the terminology used for a stair step-like feature? I see see face-like features in in this stone. Now, if you remember a few episodes ago, we talked about Pareidolia. Pareidolia, yeah. Pareidolia, this idea that you, uh, that the human mind is sort of geared to see faces and things. Mm -hmm. That don't have faces necessarily. Yeah, Doctor Kamura calls this Jacques' eyes, um, named after a guy my named Jacques Mayol, who was like a free diver in the area. Um, mm-hmm. It is a rock with two depressions where eyes could be, but it's true. It's a pretty far cry from looking like a carved head. It's yes. And it might just be the angle because the other photo that's like a higher res one looks to be taken from a slightly different angle and it no longer looks like it's even like a head shape to me. Mm-hmm. It just sort of, it, this one definitely just looks like rock. Yeah. It looks like rock. And this reminds me a lot of um, the, the face on Mars. That was like a big deal. Like yeah. when I was a little kid there, everyone was talking about the face on Mars, but it was just because the last time that we had taken a picture of that part of Mars, we used really low resolution footage photography and then we took a high resolution one you were like oh it looks nothing like a face (laughs) um close enough so according to dr kamura uh this the eyes are carved out but everything else is natural Mm. but 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 um and the thing though and this is this is what happens a lot uh when i when you're looking up the yonaguni monument is that Uh you'll google pictures of it and you'll find a lot of pictures of people diving around like very very obviously artificial statues and very very obvious obviously artificial pyramids and uh-huh. all of them I could see were either a completely different place or um, yeah. the, the, the pyramid ones I found were like very obviously photoshopped. Oh boy. <laughs> But according to uh, the photos that um, that do show up, basically they have no resemblance to this rock. Oh, and that, but it's um, cool. The low res one looks cool. Yeah. It even looks like it has a scar across its face, like it's seen some stuff. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a cool looking thing. It's just like very far from like I have seen natural formations yeah. that people have said look like faces that are way more face like than this. Oh, um, yeah. Mount Rushmore. Those look so much like faces. Yeah. If, <laughs> God damn it. Um, Took yeah, you a while to for catch second. up to that one. Um, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, like they're just two big depressions. There's no like distinct edges. There's no eye shapes. They're not even symmetrical. They're not even convex like like eyes are. Uh-huh. They're holes where I should be. Mm. And uh, not everybody has eye sockets like mine where I just have like beady little eyes inside giant pits um, <laughs> with my massive French Canadian brow. Um, Brag about it. 
Um, so either this is natural or it's like done by some incompetent artist who's never seen eyes before. Mm, and that's fair. The other thing, too, is that they look a lot like eyes because of the light coming down from the sun, which uh, make it look like kind of like eyes with the shadow. Shadows. Yeah. But if you were in, if this was above the water in open sunlight, it would look a lot less like eyes. Yeah, you think so? Mm -hmm. But the sun still is upwards. Yes, but uh, the light, I think the light refracts differently. Like it, like the thing is, if it was above the water, light would be bouncing off of other things and coming in from all angles. And that happens less underwater. Gotcha. So the shadows right. are a little bit more pronounced. The other thing that you need to look at, too, is that um, there's a good look at the paleogeology of Yonaguni. So the thing mm -hmm. is that this area, as I said earlier, there are multiple layers of mudstone and sandstone uh, mm -hmm. in the uh, what is what's called the lower Miocene uh, Yayama group. So 20 million years ago, this uh, these like layers of stone were put down. Um, yeah. And what that what that results in is this place that has a lot of rocks that are have well-defined parallel bedding planes that um, can easily get separated if, say, like an earthquake happened. So uh -huh. imagine like a uh, sort of a uh, sheet cake where you have different like types of rock oh. at different like levels. Right. And then All right. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and they have very different densities. And then say like an earthquake breaks out, you can see that it would like crack and move. And you could see that that would look sort of step like. All right. Because, you know, the top would have like cracked at one point and then the bottom would have cracked a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. All right. I'm seeing it. I'm getting it. Yeah, because the thing is that um, the island actually has lots of rocks that look like this and that fracture this way. And this mm. is also very common um, in the in looking at bedrock that has been affected by earthquakes. Um, this is basically what happens to oh. rock when earthquakes happen to them. Well, I, I mean, but the thing about that is uh, I don't think we've established if J if Japan has earthquakes at all. Yeah. Um, what happened at uh, Fukushima Daiichi? Uh, someone got mad and stomped on the ground too hard. <laughs> Godzilla. Uh, isn't it? Uh, it's Godzilla, Godzilla in the Brian Cranston movie, right? I've not seen that, that movie. That lied and it was like because it billed itself as like it's Brian Cranston. You liked Breaking Bad. Brian Cranston is going to do a Godzilla. And then spoiler yeah. alert, he like dies in the first act. <laughs> and then you just get the most generic soldier guy as the main character, like literally like a guy who looks like the main character in like a battlefield game or something <laughs> fair enough oh boy so even uh even in more recent times uh dr kimura has been backtracked to saying that the basic structure of the monument is definitely natural but that it's been terraformed by humans ah, they made some okay. details like shock size and the roads all right see now that now that's interesting now that that that's some thinking that's some twisting and thinking that I could get behind. Mm -hmm. Um, a couple other things too. Um, were there even people in Yonaguni eight to 10,000 years ago? And as far as I can tell, the answer is no. Um, okay. It's, it's, it's well, in the Ryukyu islands. Uh, Okinawa is the largest one of those islands. The earliest archeological uh -huh. evidence, uh, is called the late shell mound phase, which only began in the year 300 BCE, i.e. 2300 years ago. Um, mm. the Ryukyu okay. islands are in deep water, uh, about 500 meter deep water 
water on all sides. So there's no, mm-hmm. so like during the last ice age, there was no like land bridge to it. Um, mm-hmm. which means that if there were any people that, um, that got there, like there, if there was any people who got to Yonaguni when it was on dry land, at least they did not stay. And also they would have had to arrive by boat. And that is something that we could, would have found evidence of, um, the, and Taiwan being nearby, there is some evidence of um, people living there uh, in the Pleistocene period. But all we okay. see uh, from them is evidence that they had some bone tools, some splintered uh, bones that were cracked sure. open for marrow. Um, okay. There's some like chip pebbles, some deer bones and stuff like that. Like they're, oh yeah, okay, yeah. And, and even those aren't even Pleistocene at age. So there's like maybe some evidence that some people lived in Taiwan like 7,000 years ago. I think that's the earliest time that we have for uh, Taiwanese people living on the island. Uh, And uh, that was the uh, the depending culture. Um, Depending on what? (laughs) Depending. Uh, Oh, okay. um, But then and also uh, there's this is also about the first time that people actually started using boats, uh, canoes for fishing. So the earliest it could have been was 7000 years ago, not 10,000 years ago, because that was the earliest time that there were humans verified in the area who had boats. Um, ah. so, and, and that would have, and for the record, 7,000 years ago would have been, um, about, uh, would have been very close to the time that it was, uh, going underwater. Um, because as I mentioned, uh, in the Pleistocene, there was, uh, some seismic activity where all the stuff that became the Yonaguni monument were sent under the waves. Mm-hmm. So makes sense. And not only that, this is a 25 meter tall, 120 meter wide, 20, 230 sure. meter long, uh, construct. Um, do you, can you imagine that if this was done by a civilization that had not even developed pottery, how long that would take and how many people it would take to make that couple, couple tough weekends. Cause like, that's a lot of work. And like we've seen with like the pyramids, right? Like we, when we see the pyramids, we see like extensive um, like evidence that not only did they have lots of construction facilities, but they also had like an entire system to make sure like, like the amount of people that you would have needed to make something like that at that time would have required a lot of calories. Uh, and the people who mm-hmm. lived in this region at the time basically ate fish. Like this is actually even before they cultivated rice in the region. So like there, uh. a lot of, see like a lot of these big monuments can really only happen after agriculture because you need um, something like rice or grain that is like a cheap, plentiful source of calories so that people can work uh, on things that aren't just uh, working to get more food. (laughs) But like, but what about people on paleo diets? Yeah, the reason why paleo diet, people who are on paleo diets are always um, exhausted is because they eat no carbohydrates, which means that they have no energy. (laughs) But so you couldn't... I'm always being told that when you're on paleo, you can do anything and you feel good and everything's good and you can tackle the world. Mm-hmm. And you're telling me that I, I can't, I gotta eat some rice. I'm sure that there are people who are on the paleo diet or the ketogenic diet or whatever that don't eat a lot of carbs that uh, feel perfectly fine. Um, but uh-huh. it is, um, those are all I'm trying to think how to explain this. Like carbohydrates enter your blood fast and give you a lot of energy for a short amount of time. Uh, the keto and like, paleo diets are typically high in um like more like uh proteins and fats um so the point where you got weird people who are like you know buttering their coffee and weird stuff like that um Uh that stuff is like that that like that stuff works uh your body needs to work a little bit more to get calories out of it but like this is why like you know athletes and stuff like that will quote unquote carbo load before they they work out 
um, so they can have the energy. Trust me, I, I had a friend who, uh, in my master's degree, who was an Olympic rower and <laughs> she ate a lot of carbs. <laughs> like, um, so like carbohydrates are a big part of like, like you can be happy on them, but if you want like that kind of like extended energy, and especially because um, not only like, can you, is that is that fine? But like the amount of like physical work you need to do to fish up, uh, like say like, you know, your average person who has a physical job probably goes through like, you know, four or 5,000 calories a day. If they're like, you know, sure. very physical, um, say, say if you were going to, if you say probably like five, uh, six or 7,000 calories a day, if you're doing something like um, building a pyramid, for example, um, right. So um, the amount of work that someone would need to do to fish 7,000 calories of fish or 7,000 calories of uh, of our hunt, 7,000 calories of meat per person or anything like that or forage 7,000 yeah. calories of, of wild uh, wheat germ or whatever or not wheat germ, wild grasses or whatever like that. That is right, right, right. a lot of time while farming cereal grains is uh, much cheaper and you really don't see these like big instructions until you see like mass farming of these cheap sources of calories that you can do that work without having to spend the whole day foraging for the food you need i get you this is why the agricultural revolution was so significant for the development of these more um sophisticated constructions because uh before that you basically had to work good chunk most of your free time most of your energy in the day was spent getting enough energy for the next day and that's about it (laughs) that was pretty much Mm. it's pretty much the uh long short of what you did um it was not until agriculture that you know you could have people who made enough who farmed enough calories that you could have other people who don't farm and that's when you start getting like civilizations that have specialization and all that kind of stuff Sorry, we got off yeah, track. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, well, we're on track, just very, uh, oh, okay. very elaborated. But like, also, so like, if they were to build a pyramid like this, they would have had to have massive uh, advances in agriculture that are thousands of years ahead of the time that we thought they were. If so, there would have been fields. Um, there would have been people who died. So there would have been cemeteries. There would have probably sure. been villages. And uh, in a place that regularly gets typhoons and earthquakes. Do you really think that everybody lived their entire civilization, put everything in the lowland region of the island and that nobody put anything on the highlands where people today might excavate some evidence of it? Like people back then probably lived in the place where if there was like a massive tsunami coming, they were more likely to survive. Yeah. All right. That's reasonable. And all of this is even assuming that they are descendants of uh, the ancient Taiwanese people who came almost like very, very close. Like they would have had to go really, really fast to get from uh, developing boats in Taiwan, getting to the island and building a huge monument. That would have been like a very, very quick amount of time. But genetic studies of people who live on the Ryukyu show that they are more related to people from uh, like Okinawa and they moved southward from Japan. They did not migrate from Taiwan. So there's no real evidence that um, that the people who live there are descendants of Taiwanese people. So a lot of a lot of stuff sort of fallen through here. Yes. What I'm hearing. And like, but as far as I can tell, basically every geologist who, um, who studied this site with the exception of like, you know, Kimura and a few other people are pretty satisfied that it's a natural formation. It's very dramatic. It has some interesting features. 
but it's got a face sometimes. Yeah, but there's nothing there that hasn't been seen in other places. Yeah, and Yonaguni is not even that unique in that sense. Um, so there's a guy by the name of Robert uh, Schock, uh, who is a geologist at Boston University, who probably says the most amount of stuff about this. He he's also some some stuff about the Sphinx and everything like that. Um, but his the quote from him is the structure is as far as I could determine composed entirely of solid living bedrock. No part of the monument is constructed of separate blocks of rock that have been placed to position. Mm -hmm. This is an important point for carved and arranged rock blocks would definitely indicate a man-made origin of the structure, yet I could find no such evidence. So there's really nothing here except that there's some things that kind of look like steps and that there is a guy who has dedicated his entire life to trying to make this case. Well, I would hate to follow that geologist (laughs) or put in another way, I would hate to be, I would, I would hate to be after shock. Ah, like a rock. You got some, you got some, uh, your pun game is on today. Is it? Okay. (laughs) I'm, I just throw stuff out there and we'll see what sticks. Yeah. Puns today. Today, the 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 shtick is puns. Um. So why is this such a big deal? Why is ancient aliens talking about this? Why this like very obscure theory goes through? And that is because uh, sort of another thing about media, which is that um, it's just like kind of like the public loves to make controversy where there really isn't any. Um, mm-hmm. Kimura's discovery got a whole bunch of attention. There were phrases like "scholars mystified," "underwater city," "Japanese Atlantis" that were like you know very convincing headlines. So, you know, mm-hmm. the History Channel made an episode about it. Um, a show uh, called History's Mysteries came out and did an episode on it. Um, and uh, the BBC came out. Discovery Channel came out. Um, and think, but the thing is, that it's because when you're trying to do media and when you're trying to make, make documentaries, you're trying to find conflict because you're trying to tell a story. And this actually comes to something that both of us do because we are both uh, educators. Liars. Oh, yeah. We are both educators and we try to talk about things in the real world. But as you know, as as you and I both know, that making sure. compelling content also involves trying to make a story. A story. And yeah. stories need conflict. And sometimes uh, in the drive to make a compelling story, you will take a side that is ex- in the extreme minority that nobody ha- that is way against the overwhelming consensus of the field, but prop it up because that is the that's the controversy you get the controversy there and i mean there's Mm -hmm. nothing more iconic of that than uh climate change deniers and how they got uh, a lot of media figures gave them equal time uh because they wanted Mm. to appear fair even though they represented the vast uh tiny minority of the scientific discipline and that has poisoned our our efforts to not have actual cities get submerged under the ocean in the next uh-huh. few centuries. Yes. Very good point and very good way to bring it all together in the end. Yeah. There. So at the end of the day, it's a really cool natural rock formation. And, uh, you know, if you want to go and see some hammerhead sharks, it would definitely be a cool uh, pit stop while you're uh, diving around Yonaguni Island. But uh, signs of ancient Japanese Atlantis? Mm-hmm. Probably not. It's probably not Atlantis. Probably. It's probably not Atlantis. <laughs> Well, Tristan, here we are at the end of another episode. We've grown. We've grown. We've grown together as friends, as family, maybe. Um, well, th- I mean, at the very least, I can say thank you, Tristan, for taking us on that deep dive ah. <laughs> into this topic. 
but we're, if if you want a, a slightly shallower dive, you can go follow us at, on Twitter. Yeah, at props not <laughs> props aliens. not aliens. There you go. But if you want to deep dive into something like all sorts of cool stuff about history and what it means for like the world today, I bet Tristan got you covered. Yeah, I've got a YouTube channel uh, at stepbackhistory.com um, where I talk about that kind of stuff. Also on Nebula, uh, step back on Nebula. But if I wanted to learn, I'm trying to think of like all my favorite uh, nerd sync videos. If I wanted uh-huh. to learn about uh, what Thor the Dark World has to say about abortion rights, <laughs> um, what would mm-hmm. I, where would I go to find uh, such compelling content? Boy, you can go check. If if that is a thing that you want, then I agree with you because I made a video about it on my YouTube channel, Nerd Sync, N-E-R-D-S-Y-N-C. Go check it out. It's a good video. I think it's good. I think people are sleeping on it. So if you like the video, share it around. I think it's pretty good. Um, I make video essays about comics and superheroes and cartoons and things that I'm interested in. And the next video I'm working on is about me turning 30. <laughs> so uh, we'll see, see if you can outdo, much... move, move aside, Bo Burnham. Move aside, Bo Burnham. Move aside, Jonathan Larson. I'm the new artist in town. I'm going to do new... a video in your underwear with, uh, with your phone. Um, I, yeah. I mean, I'm going to do all the, all the hits, all the good stuff. Um, what else? Oh, reviews. Yes. Hey, Tristan, did you know that people can write reviews? Yeah, I actually stumbled upon a bunch of them recently and I was like, people actually like this show. I know. It's so sweet. I need to start remembering to write out the names of people. I promise it's on my to-do list to do that. But you can write out, you can make reviews. You can make a review and write a good thing about us and do that on Apple Podcasts. Or wherever you are getting your podcasts if they have review features. If they uh, have reviews, yeah, anything. But if you really want a way to... uh, to really help this show out the most. Uh, it's by telling your friends and family and uh, psychotherapists Lovers. about it. Yeah, um, okay. Because podcasts really are a word of mouth type thing. And so uh, if you can- uh, share so share this podcast with somebody who find it interesting. I'm sure that in the 50 episodes we made, that there is something for everybody. Um, so you know, yeah. just, just share the love around, and um, that would be greatly appreciated. Uh, you can do that and keep listening to the show, and know full in your heart that you helped you helped make this uh you helped make us uh the successes oh that we are today. We've been kind of 50 episodes in. I think both of us are surprised and also a little like 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 surprised and touched by how. How like yes. over the top the the um, the positivity and the response to the show yes. and the success it's had in such a short amount of time compared to other projects we've done. Oh my gosh, it's been so uh, such a joy. It's been such a joy to see everybody who likes this podcast and share it around, and uh, it it just means the world to me because we have lots of fun doing it, and I feel like we're spreading a, a decent message, and also just like it's an educational thing. Yeah, how often. And how often do like educational things get like, you know, really a, a big fan base? I mean, I guess Ancient Aliens is like pseudo educational, but you know what I mean? We're the real ones. Yeah. When I shout out The Endless Knot uh, a while back, I got a message from the host of The Endless Knot who said that uh, that she got a DM from one of her fellow professor friends saying that that they had gotten a shout out on a silly but very fun Ancient Aliens debunking <laughs> show called It's Probably 
they're not aliens. And I was like, that's amazing. Ah. So like, like, like a sort of fish hook of, uh, of ref of, uh, of things like someone I did not yes. know at all found somebody I did know and talked about the shout out. And I'm like, Oh man, that, that, that's, See? that's a sign we're going places. And that's, I mean, and that again, word of mouth, it helps people. Mm-hmm. It helps. Well, is that everything? That is. <gasps> So then, that is so all for like today. F- un- we're going to do 50 more episodes. Here's to another 50. Here's to another 50. And that's and then we're done. Mm-hmm. Forever. Yep. <laughs> no, well... There'll be a legendary no, 101st episode that will... Uh, no, edu- <laughs> Ancient Aliens has been going on for hundreds yeah, of hundreds we might of be episodes. Yeah, we might be on episode 10 by <laughs> episode 100. All right. Well, we got a lot more to talk about in the ne- in the future of this show, and we're glad you, you like it and you're listening. But until next time, my name is Scott. My name is Tristan, and the truth is out there. No, Tristan. Because he's in water. He's in water. Do you need help? Yeah. Do you know how to swim? I mean, I need help enough for that. Okay. <laughs>